Welcome to episode two of the Be Church podcast, the podcast where we find new ways to be the church. To find out more about the Be Church network and what we do, stick around until the end of the podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Alex Marriott. This episode is part one of a three-part series where Sarah and I interview Mark Hughes, the lead pastor of Church of the Rock in Winnipeg. After the interview, Sarah, the other Mark, and I will discuss the interview and what we learned. Mark and Kathy founded Church of the Rock back in 1987. In 1996, they started to broadcast their services on television in Manitoba, and now Church of the Rock has a thriving television ministry that airs all across Canada. In 2013, they opened the first of many Church of the Rock campuses in Winnipeg. Within the same year, they launched online and found themselves engaging a virtual congregation drawn from all over the world. Mark is part of the executive team of the LifeLinks Network of Churches. And I must say, this is by far the best interview we've had so far on the podcast. It's the only one, so it stands out in a class of its own. Welcome to the podcast, Mark Hughes. Hi there, uh, my name is Mark Hughes and I am the pastor of Church of the Rock in Winnipeg, Canada, and I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome, we're glad to have you, Mark. As you already said in your bio, you've been at this for a while at Church of the Rock. Uh, can you explain a little bit about the changes that your church has gone through over the number of years that you've been doing ministry like this? Yeah, we're uh, we're now in our 34th year, so we've been at, at this a long while. And uh, I always tell people that one of the secrets to success is actually longevity. You don't have to be that smart. You just have to just keep on doing it and keep on moving and keep on plowing. And, uh, you know, Jesus said he was going to build the church, so you don't have to really worry about it near as much as you think. What you have to do is be faithful to what God's called you to do and to kind of leave the results up to him. So we've had lots of uh, different expressions over the years. You know, we uh, we started really small. We started as a, a church of uh, probably two dozen people. Uh, most of them were friends and family, and they were mostly only with me because they felt sorry for me. Uh, our church was so bad when we started, I wouldn't go if I wasn't the pastor. Uh, but nevertheless, that's where we started, and it was an inauspicious beginning, to say the least. And we just sort of plugged away at it, and uh, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would be pastoring a mega church. Uh, it wasn't sort of in my, my radar, on my radar. It wasn't in my scope. But uh, we just sort of plugged away at it and, um, you know, tried different things and did different things. And Probably the most helpful thing in our journey has been the fact that I'm probably an evangelist at heart. I'm not the world's greatest pastor. Uh, well, I'm not even a good one, let alone the, a great one. Uh, you, you know, I'm just not wired that way. There's so many more pastors that are just so more, much more caring, more loving, more shepherding types of people than I am. But I am a pretty good evangelist. I know how to draw people. I know how to bring people to Christ. And uh, that has really been a big part of, of our journey. And we've always seen people come to Christ for years and years and years and years. And so, uh, you know, we went through lots of, you know, hiccups and challenges and trans transitions over time. 
But the one thing that happened, uh, because we're always trying to reach the lost, is the church always grew. And we probably, if you look at our growth chart, we probably only have two years in our entire 34 history year history where we didn't grow. We have literally grown every single year in there. And then, of course, we had some very, very significant things that, that happened uh, along the way. One of them was we, we met in a television studio in the mid-90s. Uh, we were about nine or 10 years old, and we were in this television studio as our, our actual worship sanctuary. And the, you know, it's a long story, but felt inclined by the Lord to start television ministry. And we were, everything was there. The cameras were at the back of the room. The lights were on the stage. It was kind of a no-brainer. And uh, we started with one local station picking us up, which was a miracle. I mean, who wants to pick up a church service anyway? But it was. And then just every year we would add another station. And within about you know six or seven years, we were right across the nation. We've been on air now for uh, 24 years, I think, coming up 25 years where we've been on broadcasting across the nation. That's been a big, big boon for us because people know who we are and know where we are. And uh, it be, it's a, I always joked with people that our television program was an infomercial for Jesus and for the church. And uh, that's, you've seen it. That's sort of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it, it appeals to a mass audience. And in the meantime, behind the scenes, we just continue to build this church. And then like the rest of you, uh, you know, we, well, not like, let me back up for a sec. Then we went multi-site uh, about seven or eight years ago. We went multi-site. We added a, a number of different sites. Uh, and then by our peak, we were at five of us, uh, the original site plus five sites. Then COVID hit and we went into all the challenges that, that we've all experienced, yourselves included. And as of yesterday, we turned a new milestone because we just closed our first campus. Wow. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. It's not always uphill. And uh, we're well aware of that. And it was painful. Yesterday was a very tough day for us having to close down one of us, our sites. But, you know, with COVID and with a whole bunch of problems with that particular location, we saw no way forward. And so we had another new experience that I get to talk about. So that brings us to today. <laughs> well, I also noticed that you have a online church presence. Was that before COVID or that, was that a response to COVID? No, we've actually been online for about seven years, probably. We've been doing it for a long time. And that, of course, was really helpful for us because when, when COVID did hit mid-March and most churches had to close down, we were already online. And so the pivot for us was particularly easy uh, because our streaming system was already there, our platform was up, our hosting, and all of the things uh, we were doing before now just took on a whole lot more significance and our audience grew significantly. So we started multiplying the number of services we had over a weekend to give people more options. Uh, We hit the ground running. Uh, Week two, we were online every single day. And we were doing brand new live content every single night of the week uh, during that. We almost killed ourselves uh, doing it. And at first, it went really, really well because people had absolutely nothing to do. And then they discovered Netflix. 
And so we had to, <laughs> we, we didn't carry on with live content every day, but here we are now 10 months later and uh, we do have live content two or three times a week uh, still. And uh, we're, in, we're in full lockdown right at the moment uh, here in the middle of January of 2021. And so uh, for us, uh, our entire congregation is online in one fashion or another. How do you address um, discipleship and relationship with the context of everyone being online? Well, I, that's obviously our biggest consternation is, is how do you deal with this? Let, let me make a couple comments about that. Uh, you know, some people are really, really bullish on online ministry. They see it as the future. They think that that's where the church is going to stay. I have a major fear that I'll be really honest with is I am concerned that we're going to turn the church into a bunch of spectators. A lot of them were already spectators and they were coming to big churches like ours and they were sitting in the back rows and they were consuming and leaving and not really contributing uh, in any significant way. And now we've come to the point where we're spoon feeding them over the internet and they don't even get out of bed. They don't even get out of their pajamas. And uh, I think the, challenges ahead of us in what you're talking about are very, very significant. So those are the conversations we're having right now is about, about discipleship and about relationship. And we are uh, really trying to work on that. And so our content is, has really morphed in the last few months. We're uh, um, one of the, I'll give you there's a bunch of different levels. We can talk about this, but one level would be uh, we launched in the middle of a pandemic, a small group campaign. And we're big campaign people, small group campaign people. We've done um, a whole bunch of the Rick Warren ones, you know, 40 days of community and 40 days of prayer and 40 days of this and that. We actually wrote a couple of them ourselves. One was called 50 days in the spirit because the spirit should Pentecost, be 50 yeah. days because it's Pentecost, right? We did another one called 40 days of praise. We wrote that one as well. And so our congregation is used to these small group campaigns where the whole church, uh, children, youth, young adults, singles, everybody, every single component of our church goes through a small group campaign where we are, it's in a, and they're essentially twofold. They're community and relationship, but they're also discipleship because you're discipling in the area of prayer or in the area of community or in the area of, you know, whatever it is, the word of God, uh, and so we decided in the middle of a pandemic that if we were going to be the church, we needed to act like the church. And we were going to launch a small group campaign, which we did. Uh, and it was called The Greater Passion. And Greater Passion was a book I, I, I wrote, and it just came out uh, in the fall, came out in October 2020. And so we did a six-week campaign. Halfway through the campaign, and it was supposed to be live. Uh, as far as in person. Uh, but halfway through the campaign, we went into full lockdown. And so we went, we pivoted. We were doing it in different ways. We had different expressions of it. Some of them were already in homes. We did many in our building. We used our building. It was open every night. And we had sort of larger rooms, like classroom size rooms with 10 people in, rather than having them crowded into a, a living room where they would honestly be too tight, not be able to socially distance. Uh, we were all wearing masks and we were doing this. We had tremendous buy-in. And then, as I said, halfway through the campaign, 
we went into full lockdown as a province. And so the whole thing had to go online. So those live groups had to go now into Zoom. And uh, we had other groups that were, that were on with our online streaming platform. And then they would have breakout groups within that. Do you know that we had almost 100% of the people make that transition from live to online mm-hmm. or Zoom or some sort of expression like that? We were so thrilled. And so it told us this. That, that the digital age does not have to prevent us from relationship, community, from discipleship, that all those things can carry on. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're, we're working on. Did we get everybody in the church in those groups? Absolutely not. You know, I, I'm not going to convince you otherwise. Uh, but we worked hard at it. And so we're still working on that. And so here's how we sort of see the future. You're not asking the question, but you're probably going to ask, so I'll tell you the answer. Uh, (laughs) We see the future as being a bit of a hybrid. And and we think that when this thing is all said and done, uh, we're going to, we don't think, there's, we think there's a lot of people that aren't going to come back to church and they're just going to get so used to bed spring Baptist that they're not coming back. And so we're going to really work hard to connect with them. And we've got a, we're currently working on ideas that are going to work. We're going to be able to bifurcate them. They're going to work uh, in person and they're going to work online. And that's sort of how our big thrust is at the moment. Mm -hmm. Now you said before talking about discipleship pre COVID, most mega churches, when you look at them, you think they, they're kind of cold and impersonal and that you show up as an anonymous person and leave um, and usually you don't associate the bigger churches with being really missional, but uh, Church of the Rock is one of the most um, uh, ministry-oriented, like, like grassroots uh, churches I've, I've seen uh, at your size. So you you spearhead uh, Love Your City via Love Winnipeg. You spearhead a, a prayer campaign. What other things are you doing with with the people in the community you know, when it's not a pandemic? Yeah, when it's not a pandemic. Uh... Yeah, you know, here, here's where we, here's where we, you make a good point. A lot of big churches, not all of them, but a lot of big churches are quite content to have a crowd. And uh, I always remind people that Jesus had a crowd as well. And at the end, uh, they were the people shouting in the streets, crucify him, crucify him. And that's what happens when crowds are not discipled and don't become fully committed followers of Christ. They they turn on you or they're or they're fickle and they just go somewhere else. And so the way place we start with this in, in a church like ours, and I don't want to leave the impression we do a fantastic job of this of this. We just try, okay? I don't want you to think we've got our nailed because we do not. But here's where we start. We tell people we don't want them to go to church. We say, we don't want you to come to church. And then I usually pause. And then we say, we want you to be part of this church. We want you to be fully committed followers of Christ and finding your mission and your passion for your life and and serving him with everything you have. And so in a way, we've made our church a little bit uncomfortable for the spectator. Not entirely. We still have them. But if, if that's what you want to be, there's other places you might as well go, you know, where you're, it's going to be easier for you to do that, where they cater to that. This isn't the place because we're constantly challenging people to be part of something and to contribute. 
And so, you know, for example, um, you know, in the spring for many, many years, we've done this thing where the last church standing doing this, we've had up to 100 churches in our city doing it. It's called Love One Effect. And at one point, there was 100 churches in our city doing it. Uh, Some 15 years later, we're the only church still doing it. And uh, we still do it. We still call it Love Winnipeg. And uh, we challenge every single person in our church to do at least one outreach during this time to our community. And we have dozens and dozens of different opportunities to do different things. And, uh, you know, just to give you a few examples of these, we have, uh, we'll host carnivals uh, in our various locations, including our our campuses. They will host, you know, where they mostly meet in rented parking lots or rented facilities rather. So they'll do this maybe in their parking lot and uh, whatever their facility is. We'll host carnivals and we'll reach out to people and we'll minister them and we'll give them, you know, if if they're a community that needs food, we'll, we'll give them food. Um, or clothing. One of the ministries we have in our church that's really a fun ministry for men, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they're not going to go knock on a door and they're not going to go to a prayer meeting. Uh, But if they could do something with their hands, they would do it. And so we have a bike ministry where we have people that donate used and broken up bicycles. And we have guys that meet together once or sometimes twice a week at night, come together pray together and then they work on these bikes and they restore these bikes. And then in the spring, we literally go out on the streets and we find needy people in inner city or maybe people that don't have a car and need a bike to go to work. And we qualify all these people, but all these bikes end up in the hands of people. And by the time they get them, they're like a brand new bike. Mm-hmm. And uh, immigrant people in our city who would never be able to afford a bicycle for their children end up getting a bicycle. And of course, we do it through the connection and relationship with our churches and campuses and small groups and different things, because we don't want to just give them stuff. We want to connect with them on a personal level and become a part of their life. And so that's been a real win for, you know, the guys in the church. You, you see how I'm saying it, guys, you know, that are, are not like you and me that would go to a, a Bible study but they're like guys that would be happy to get their hands dirty on grease and fix a bike and do these things. Uh, I don't know if you, I know you've been to this building. I don't know if you've ever been to that bike room. It now, it no. currently, uh, cause we had a bad year with COVID and we couldn't give away the bikes like we wanted. It currently has 600 bikes in it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. From, from being unrepaired to being finished. Uh, so anyway, that's just one story of many. So you've all had the chance to listen to the first chunk of that interview. Uh, what do you guys think so far? Well, I personally think that Mark Hughes is a genius. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed his insightfulness and his humor. So there is that. Um, I love the innovation that that they are doing, that they don't seem to have, uh, you know, even though they're a large church and they're doing big stuff, they don't seem to have the barriers that many do, uh, they're, they're still imagining, they're still reinventing. Mm -hmm. How about you, Sarah? What came to mind first in that, in that chunk? Um, I think I really appreciate Mark's leadership in, uh, the, the concept of, um, 
finding a way, like regardless of all of the hurdles that COVID has brought, regardless of being an enormous church, they, they continue to just find a way to continue connection and um, continuing to be missional. Um, yeah, they're, they're very thoughtful about the process of uh, making sure that evangelism, evangelism and discipleship continues regardless of the hurdles placed before them. So I, I really appreciate that about Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love how adaptable they are and how they're, they understand who they're supposed to be. They understand their mission. And from that, they're able to adapt how their church operates in every season because their goal is evangelism. Their goal is, uh, is reaching people for Jesus and equipping them to be able to do those things. And so that's, I think that to me is, uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. I think it would be super interesting to actually go have, you know, feet on the ground and, and live the life of for like a month or something with them to see, because, you know, we all have ideals and we speak of those ideals when we're sharing our stories. You know, I've often said when we, when we share testimonies or stories, it's always the good news. And so then people kind of romanticize our, you know, our vision and whatnot. But we all know that when you're in the trenches, it's not, it's simple, but it's not easy. And so I, I'd be really curious to know what their, um, you know, what their rhythms are and things like that. But, but yeah, the, 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 I love the, the continual reinvention, but still keeping the main thing, the main thing. And that, I think that is the struggle for any, uh, any church is, you know, how do you make sure that you are staying in that vision window and not getting vision drift, right? Yeah, I think um, I think that's one of the things too. I I really appreciate about talking to Mark is how long he's been there. I mean, the thing has remained the thing partly because um, the visionary has been there to keep uh, keep yeah. focus on the vision, right? And I think yeah. so often, um, especially in church planting or church reviving, um, there, there's not this incredible longevity that Mark has had. So I, I really appreciate the fact that he's been there from the beginning. He's really, um, he's centered on the, the purpose of what they're doing, but the methods over the years have continued to shift and adapt and change um, for the times. And I think that's excellent. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. There's something about longevity, you know, even, even it's not even the size of the thing, you know, our metrics are all messed up in the church today. Um, it's the consistency that, and the faithfulness, the, the size isn't matter. Like, can you be consistent and faithful, uh, and dependable, even if it was just a small group? What if, what if they had never grown past, you know, 50 people? I think Mark is the kind of leader or what I see in his character, um, you know, from a distance is that, yeah, he probably would be. <laughs> he would still be doing crazy things and it might that 50 people might even be a totally different set of 50 people every whatever as they grow and move on but he's still consistent to the thing and and but yet still innovating so i yeah i, I really respected that and and i felt like you know without knowing him well you you two know him better than i do but um without knowing him well i had a sense of that faithfulness i had a sense of that authenticity that he has you know, and I think because he's authentic is why he can get away with some of his, some of his, uh, crazy ideas. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Cause I think, I think that's a, uh, 
an overused word that's underlived in our society today. I think we hear the word authentic all the time, um, but if it's a buzzword, it's useless. But if you are actually really living out of who God created you to be, I think that authenticity comes through, and it came through in in that interview, uh, in 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 listening to it, it absolutely came through. Yeah, I think one of the evidences of that too is that uh, when I had the opportunity to be in Church of the Rock, walking around and and hanging out, I, I spent some time with um, his main administrator. Actually, I stayed at, at their house, and um, uh, she has been with. Mark and that ministry for its entire duration. She was the very first person who was hired in the church and it's still there now. And those sort of things don't happen very often, I think in, in, in large scale church or in, even in, in starter church, when you're, when you're looking at, um, uh, church planting, that first generation that plants the church doesn't usually stick around. They're not usually the same people who are there, uh, literally a generation later. And so it's amazing to see his team, uh, not change around that much that it shows that they're, they're plugged in they're They're being fed and they're, they have opportunities to grow where they're at as well. So I think that actually shows a lot about the character of the the place. Of I think it also says something about his character, right? I think, cause the longer you are working alongside with someone, the more you get the opportunity to see their warts, right? And we all <laughs> have them. Uh, and Mark certainly has his warts, but if somebody sticks around that long with you, it means that you're addressing those. It means that you're, you are being real with them. It means that you are saying sorry when you need to and asking forgiveness when you need to and working things out well, because people don't stick around for that kind of time. Um, if you're, if you're not in the kind of relationship where you deal with your warts. And so what does that say about, um, yeah, about character of a leader, right? When you, mm -hmm. when you, You've got the longevity, you've been committed, but when other people are committed alongside you for that long, that's just a whole other level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember hearing early in my, I don't know where I heard it, but early in my ministry and I adopted it and I have actually spoken to many, many leaders over the years, but you know, it's, if you want to keep flight, you, you, a, a plane needs two wings and in leadership, if you want to stay in flight, you've got to have a uh, two wing plane. One wing is gifting or anointing, depending on your language on that, but it's gifting, anointing, calling, and the other wing is character. And a lot of leaders think that the anointing is, you know, is, is enough to carry you in flight. And it's not, you have to have the character wing as well. And, uh, and all that's wrapped up in that character. And so I think, I think that that is really important. And so, you know, you can look at the longevity of, of, of a ministry and of, as a leader and look at the longevity of their team and you can, you know, whether or not it's a two wing plane or not. I've seen many ministries start off like a fighter jet and crash and burn because the, the character could not keep up with, with the uh, anointing or the, or the gifting. And so I, I, I really value that and I really respect that. I, I'm, it, it was very evident. Well, and as you know, recent history, I'm not going to mention a bunch of names, but recent history has shown that, you know, there's some ministries with a lot of longevity, um, but they've crashed and burned later because uh, the moral feelings of a pastor or a leader have been found out. Um, and unfortunately, we've seen that. We've seen that a lot in the last five years with some very big names. Um, 
And, and I really appreciate that Mark takes that very seriously. And I think we all need to, you know, those are big names with big ministries, but um, scripture is really clear that, uh, that anyone who wants to be a teacher will be held to a higher account because we can trip people up um, who we mentored long ago by mm-hmm. the way that we continue to behave or um, operate. And so um, whether it's a small ministry, whether you're a small group leader, whether you are um, a neighborhood block party planner, you know, the, the way that you handle yourself, the way you do your internal work affects um, the efficacy of everything you do from a public or outside perspective. Totally agree. And, and regardless of what work you do too, because we're all a royal priesthood, we're all called to full-time ministry. I always found that funny. People would ask, like, are you in full-time ministry? It's like, yes, yeah, so are you? <laughs> whether you are vocationally are or not, like whether you, uh, you know, make a living from it or not is not, we're all called to full-time ministry. So th- what you just said, Sarah, is exactly, we, we need to realize that, you know, much more is caught than taught. And so when we can walk out that closeness with, with God and, and, uh, and his mission, boy, what an impact it has on those people around us, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about, is bringing glory to God. I, th- I think it's fitting that we started here, uh, that we talked about that, that character piece at the very beginning. Because mm-hmm. I think if anyone's listening to this and they're thinking they're going to be a church planter or they want to be a small group leader or they just want to mentor some people in their neighborhood, um, I think it's a good place to start of, hey, before you do that, before, you know, your giftings shine, are you going to do the internal work? Are you committed to the internal work of growing your character, um, growing humility, right? Growing yeah. faithfulness. I think, um, yeah, yeah, I think everything else builds from there. I think generally the church, we've we've allowed rising stars or gifting to make a way for people without that check down, which is a big part of discipleship. You know, you could see it in the interactions with Jesus and his disciples. He didn't, you know, it, it wasn't about their gifting or about their calling. It was about the relationship they had with him. And he would call them out when they weren't, you know. <laughs> and and so I think, yeah, that's so important to realize. And I think, like I said earlier, like when we when we speak about the testimony of ministry and the and the legacy of ministry, I know if you know if I'm speaking at a conference, you know, I'm gonna what, I'm not gonna get up and tell them the bad stories. You're gonna get up and share the good testimonies. But people romanticize that. I think our society generally is starstruck. So they they see a a dynamic platform minister and they think that that represents ministry and it's it's such a small part such a small part of it and and uh yeah so i i really think you tapped into something there and with with this interview alex with mark and i just really uh really appreciated that and i think i think you know the purpose of this podcast is to challenge and to inspire people i think that sarah hit it on the head it doesn't matter where you're called or what you're called to do how small or large it is um let's let the let's let god shape our character and let it let him shape who we are uh because he's the masterpiece he, you know he's created us he says we're his masterpiece he's the artist we keep you know mm-hmm. we're the lump of clay so we let, let him let him continue to shape us and uh and so if you're listening to this um 
it, it, there's no greater joy than serving the Lord and there's no greater challenge. Mm-hmm. Before we move on to the next segment, I got one more question here. One statement uh, really jumped to mind at the end of this, uh, this section of interview. He says, uh, don't come to church, come join the church. Yeah. And uh, I really love that, uh, that thought, that concept of we always want to grow our church and invite people to, to come attend. Right. But uh, the, 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 the mindset of, no, we want you to actually find your calling and your place in the world uh, in this church. Um, what do you guys, what do you guys think about that? How's that, how's that fit in your, in your brain? Yeah. I mean, for me, a hundred percent that that's been the problem. I think, you know, if I can generalize a bit, um, the, the problem in the North American church is we've done the come to church too much. We haven't done come join. I, that's the whole point of be church network is to be the church, right? We're inviting people to be the church and not just to come to church. And so I think that that, that is uh, profound. It's such a small change in words, but such a huge change in meaning. And, uh, I, and, and to be honest with the COVID thing and with everything that's gone on and, the, and the, what it's exposed, it's, it's, I don't think moving forward that we can continue to come to church. I think we have to come to join church and uh, mm-hmm. live out our callings for sure. I think um, I think it's boring any other way. Absolutely. I think you, you might find a church that will entertain you uh, Sunday morning service. It'll have the right music for you and it'll f- have the right feel good and, and the message will be good and challenging. Um, but I, but I think, I think faith and following Jesus is boring. Uh, if you're not, getting covered in his dust, right? If you're not walking behind him. And I, so I love uh, that subtle shift of words is actually an enormous shift of lifestyle. And if you're, if you're following after Jesus and you're invited to be part of his church, man, that's, that's an exciting life. It expands your life, you know, Sunday to Saturday. Like it's, it's a, it's a big expansion of the way that you do life and the way you do your job and the way that you garden and the way that you walk past your neighbor, um, it affects everything and it's, and it's fun um, and it's hard and it's messy and, and it comes with great stories. But if you, if you just go to church, if you just show up at the building once a week, I think, man, you're just, you're missing out on how cool following Jesus can be. And and how hard I like, I'll, I'll be honest, like there's two sides. Let's not romanticize it. Um, it does get messy, but holy smokes. Um, it's so much more exciting. Yeah, but does it ever, do you think, doesn't it bring so much more context for me to the gathering? If we are, you know, if we're, we're the church gathering to celebrate what has happened in the mission all week long? Mm-hmm. It brings a whole nother context. I'm no longer just a spectator and being entertained. I'm a participant in in bringing a testimony to to the collaborative, to the to the mission. And I think that that's so much more exciting than it is to just go and be entertained. Because I mean, we, we listen. The church is never going to have the budget that the entertainment world has to entertain it at any kind of level for any sustaining time, anyway. And even if you think about that. How, how many times, like very few TV shows have lasted, you know, like 10 years or more. There's very few that have gone mm-hmm. that far. Most of them recycle and remake and re- mm-hmm. 
create and all that kind of stuff. And yet the church thinks we can do the same thing we've always done the same way and expect a different result. It's, we're just, it's just such a dead way of doing things. I think you're right, Sarah. Like it's so dynamic to, to follow. The and then what, what I see is in those hard times, like when, when you're in the muck of doing the work of the kingdom and you're kind of just like beat up and broken, you drag your butt into church you know, uh, to come to go gather with the church and you bag your bucket and there's like 10, 12 people that just lift you right up. They, they pull you up by the arms. They lift your arms in the air and they encourage you and they speak life over you and they and, and you walk out saying, OK, I'm ready again. Let's go back into the mission. Right. And so hmm. I feel like that brings a whole different context. And I don't care about the framework or where that, you know, what that gathering looks like. I'm just saying that would be the elements of it is that we're celebrating what God has done and we're encouraging one another, stirring up the gifts in one another afresh, mm-hmm. right? That to me is what I want. I, I get very tired very quickly of just going to and being entertained. I think this brings us to our first breakout segment of What If? What If? So what if we could actually make a community that reflected these values? What would that look like? What if more than 80% of the people came to join church in mission? What, what, if, what if a B church expression was that 100% of the people that are part of that expression are engaged in kingdom life activity on a day-to-day basis? What if that happened? I think it would revolutionize. If we had one group of 10 people that did that and they were all dedicated to the mission they were all like they joined the move the god's mission and they were doing that i think we would see those 10 people absolutely transform our city yeah i think uh i think that's for me that's the biggest piece what if what if we actually did this like what if we actually were operated as though we were parts of one body all week long what would that look like to our city what kind of um what kind of problems could we solve in in infrastructure? What kind of problems could we solve um, in needs? Right? Even um, the concept in the in the Acts Church that none among them had need. Like no, that they took such good care of each other that they didn't consider their own possessions their own. That none of them had need. What would it look like for an entire body of believers? 10 people, 50 people, whatever, who really saw themselves um, as equals and as having each other's back and they didn't have need. What if, what if 50 people didn't have to worry so hard about if they were going to make ends meet? What if 50 people didn't have to worry so hard about if they were going to be isolated during COVID because people are looking out for them? How would those 50 people with their needs met be able to meet the needs of others? Like that would be incredible. Yeah, I agree. What if a, a group of people that had the same heart and the same mind and the same spirit towards the same project completely dedicated themselves to that and didn't have to worry about because they're a church, they have to they have to provide this and that and a hundred things. They could just focus on the one thing that God asked them to do. What if they could just do that and they wouldn't have to worry about anything else? Well, I would, I think that would be very effective. So what if this kind of church existed? 
Would you join in? If this was getting started in your neighborhood, would you help lead it? If there were a handful of others who were hoping to find a new way of doing church, wouldn't you want to at least meet them? We are always looking for people who are interested in starting new creative expressions of church community. That is what the Bee Church Network is. We are an incubator for experimental forms of church. If these ideas resonate with you, you can respond by doing the normal things like reviewing the podcast and sharing it with your friends. But more than that, if you are ready to pull up your socks and find new ways of being the church, we would love to help you. You can send us an email at thebeechurch at gmail.com or visit us online at www.bechurchnetwork.com. There you can find links to the podcast, a blog, and more. The Bee Church Network is a member of the ACOP family of churches and finds its home in the center of the Okanagan in beautiful Kelowna, BC. 